about what this looks like in real life. Facts do not have opinions. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Science is true whether or not you believe in it. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View, episode 487. We have a guest this week on the show. Willy Wonka will be joining us later. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, the sane Willy Wonka who only makes chocolate without... I mean, really, aren't the Oompa Loompas like slave labor here? This is not cool. Willy Wonka is really creepy and not a good person. He kills this, children. Does he kill children? Do any of the children die? This, this just really took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, let's, listen, Roald Dahl is one of my favorite authors of all time. I don't want to go down this path. Um, I am super excited to talk about chocolate, however. Um, I think we've touched on, like some of the benefits of chocolate in a multitude of shows in particular um some of the benefits from a high percentage of actual like dark chocolate mm-hmm. um and i think we've even mentioned a couple of times i know you and i have talked about some of the studies that are done looking at for example sugar consumption i think might have been the show where we were talking about it like the difference between the results of um like a sugar caloric diet if it's from chocolate versus non chocolate where they're having them eat extra things and like there's been all these things that we've sprinkled in all over the place to kind of discuss some of these differences but we thought Given the holidays and uh, the abundance of this lovely, (laughs) lovely food um, that, in my opinion, deserves its own food group like mushrooms, (laughs) we could go through some of the health benefits to help you feel good about if you enjoy chocolate. Um, I also just want to kind of put out there before we jump into this that this is not a a show built on dogma of defining what is or is not good or if you are good based on choices you're making. We're just here to talk about the science um, of what some of the health impacts would be should you choose or that was a question. I'm not telling you to with that should statement um, to enjoy chocolate or not. And um, I know Sarah will, will cover um, some of the reasons why it comes out of autoimmune, for example, if you're working on an autoimmune protocol, like, so there, you know, there's pluses and minuses to almost everything in life. Um, and it's such a cliche to be like balance, but you'll learn the science and that'll help you empower yourself to make your own decisions and feel good and move on. Yeah, I think you're right that we've talked about chocolate not as often as we've talked about sleep or liver, but almost like maybe it comes in three after those two topics on the show. But I think it's so common for us to come at it from the perspective of sugar and treats and having a balanced mindset when it comes to indulgences and not, you know, like not having guilt, right? Not thinking of it as a cheat. And I think it is so empowering to actually examine the science behind 
the health benefits of chocolate. And I think it makes it easier to kind of escape that diet culture, you know, drilled in mindset of if it tastes good, it must, you know, I must be making a bad choice. Like I must be weak or whatever, you know, the, the guilt that we, we take on when we're enjoying the food that we're eating. I think it helps to shed that when we can look at chocolate, especially dark chocolate as something that's actually potentially beneficial. It's beneficial for a lot of people. And that to me is why doing this show, doing a whole show just on the science of chocolate doing it right before the season where, you know, it's, uh, the, the stereotypical, uh, this experience is to, um, indulge in a way that we don't feel good about later. And then that drives really diet culture focused New Year's resolutions, right? So maybe we can get ahead of that negative cycle by having a more informed uh, decision-making process when it comes to chocolate. I like the idea of just skipping all of that. Like, just feel the same way about yourself in January as you did in September. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, let's just... And and make that way be good. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. So... Um, I'm super excited. I, I see from the show notes here, I just want to let people know there are six pages worth of scientific <laughs> references. So uh, let's go ahead and get into the science. Uh, my favorite part of every show is getting into the science. Um, so let's start with uh, what a little bit about what what we're really talking about when we talk about chocolate. So chocolate is made from the cacao bean, which comes from the tree whose Latin name is Theobroma cacao, which translates to food of the gods in Greek, which I feel is like a very, very relevant fact for us to all know. Um, It uh, has been cultivated for at least 3,200 years. Uh, it's native, um, the cacao trees are native to Central and South America. And actually the Aztecs regarded cacao beans so highly they used them as currency, which I, I think is also an excellent fact that we all need to know. When we talk about cacao versus cocoa versus chocolate, cacao refers to the raw unprocessed beans from the cacao tree, whereas cocoa refers to the beans once they have been roasted. And then uh, when you make cocoa powder, that's the roasted beans that are then defatted. The fat is cocoa butter. And chocolate is a mixture of both of those, a mixture of the cocoa solids, which would also be known as cocoa powder, and uh, the fats, also known as cocoa butter, um, and then typically other potential ingredients like sugar emulsifiers, right? Dairy fat, if we're talking about milk chocolate, it's often added. So chocolate is a mix of both parts of the cacao bean once roasted. This is like a super helpful fact that I didn't know until I tried to make my own white chocolate years ago because I was trying to make a dairy-free white chocolate because you 
it's impossible. Well, at least it was at the time to find dairy-free white chocolate. And you can purchase cocoa butter and make your own without milk. It's very possible. We have a recipe on the blog if you're interested. It's a fun little science experiment with kids. Um, But are we going to talk about the benefits of the um, butter as well as the powder? Because I know I already... Listen, I'm going to learn a few things, but I think because I've heard it here on this show before that we know dark chocolate, which is like a high percentage of that dark antioxidant rich powder is good. Um, but the, the fat's good too, right? Like we're going to get into Yeah, it. we can, we can, we will talk about all of the parts. I think. I did a little happy dance when you said that. <laughs> we will talk about all of the parts. I think it's important because of course, chocolate is made up of all of the parts. Um, and I think it's worthwhile. One of the things that I realized I didn't mention was a, the darker the chocolate actually refers to the percentage of cocoa solids. So the darker the chocolate, the, the more it's shifted towards cocoa solids and less uh, cocoa butter, as well as also less room for things like sugar or other additions. So darker chocolate has um, less sugar always, just because if... It, you have 50% of ingredients to play with versus 20% of ingredients to play with. You just don't have as much room for adding more sugar, but it also shifts that ratio of the cocoa solids, the cocoa powder versus um, the cocoa butter versus the, the fat from the cacao bean. So that also I felt like is a bit of an important fact here. Uh, so let's start with dark chocolate actually contains a lot of beneficial nutrients. So a one ounce serving of dark chocolate, that means technically greater than 70% cocoa solids, is an excellent source of copper and manganese, a good source of fiber, iron, magnesium, and vitamin E. And those are defined as an excellent source is more than 20% of the daily value. And a good source is between 10 and 20% of the daily value. So that's pretty impressive for a little tiny one ounce square of chocolate. And then it also contains per calorie, good amounts of zinc, selenium, phosphorus, vitamins, B1, B2, B3, B5, B6, B7, and K, which is, that's some like notable nutrition. And yet that's all the boring nutrients it contains. Cause the most important thing that chocolate contains is an incredibly high concentration of antioxidant phytonutrients especially polyphenols, including flavonoids, epicatechin, procyanidins, and catechin, um, all polyphenols that have been shown to be incredibly beneficial. And dark chocolate is probably the densest source of polyphenols in the human diet. So for reference, uh, it's typical for a 100-gram serving of fruits and vegetables to contain 200 to 300 milligrams of polyphenols. Obviously, there's some like blueberries that are really high. There's others that don't have as much. There's obviously variability in there, but that's kind of a typical amount. Uh, really high-quality fresh-pressed olive oil typically would contain 300 milligrams per quart and dark chocolate would contain about 700 to 800 milligrams of polyphenols per ounce. It is way concentrated um, per, per volume, but also per calorie. So that makes chocolate one of 
our most valuable sources of polyphenols and that it's probably the polyphenols that are responsible for all of the measured health benefits of chocolate that have been seen in clinical trials and perspective studies and all of there's now meta-analyses and systematic reviews like my favorite kind of scientific study there's lots of cool science showing that eating chocolate actually improves health outcomes no one's gonna argue with you on that well let me really rephrase that. I'm ex- I'm excited that the science is going to support what I want to hear um, because it doesn't always turn out that way. And anyone who's going to argue with you might be feeling that way. Um, but it is interesting to me that chocolate can be a food for almost everyone. Um, it can be vegan. It can be keto. It can be, you know, uh, like whatever you want it to be because it is a plant food. Um that has all these incredible benefits like you just talked about. But when I think we think about chocolate, we think about like modern chocolate, which um, when I consider that, I think about, like you said, all the additions that are put into chocolate and um, making it more affordable. And I think one of the reasons that it was, you know, traded as a sort of, um, form of money, right? Currency. That's Mm -hmm. the word I'm looking for. A form of currency is, is like sugar, like tea, like these things. It's, um, quality matters and it's not easy to source. Right. And so in order to make like a standard modern candy bar, um, affordable, we're, adding a bunch of stuff to that versus, you know, if we want to see some of the real health benefits, we are looking for that high percentage, like you talked about, right? Like all these benefits that you just mentioned, just to kind of reiterate, that's, you're looking at something 70% or above. So it would definitely say dark chocolate on it and it wouldn't taste as sweet (laughs) as you might want it to at first if you've been eating, um, you know, milk chocolate or something like that, um, for most of your life. But I transitioned to dark, dark chocolate years ago, like, because I was having, um, dairy intolerance. And so, you know, I just kept like kind of slowly increasing the percentage until I got to one that I felt like, um, I was really happy with in terms of both the flavor and the satiating benefits that I was looking for, because let's be real. One of the things that you didn't mention as a benefit of chocolate is the emotional, like the good feeling of chocolate. Like, I don't know how to classify that because I think it's demonized a lot of times, like, you know, the sugar, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think that, um, it's, it's different. It's not addictive. It's comforting in like a, a different way. Is there a word for that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. It, it's, so what has been, Je ne sais quoi. I don't know. Um, what has been actually measured is a reduction in parameters of stress upon consumption of chocolate. Mm. So we can see that it can reduce cortisol, right? It can reduce sympathetic nervous system activation. Um, it can, uh, reduce, for example, mean arterial pressure, which is a good proxy for, for measuring stress. Um, and 
it also has some sort of nootropic effects, so it can improve cognitive performance as well. And then it also has like more straightforward anti-diabetic, uh, you know, anti-cancer, uh, cardioprotective type effects. Um, so I think the thing that we feel though is the stress reduction. Like I think what you're talking about is sort of that calming combined with um, kind of like a perking up type feeling, right? Right. The combination of something that's reducing stress, but also acting as a nootropic and increasing cognition, which yeah. there might be a technical word for that combination, but uh, it escapes me as I well at the your, moment. Your words sounded pretty technical. I, okay. That reminded me too, that that was what I used as a pre-workout because I didn't like to eat before I worked. So I worked out after, um, the office, right? So like it was before dinner, but I didn't want to eat a big meal, but it would give me, instead of taking like pre-workout with a bunch of caffeine, it would give me enough of like the fat that I was looking for mm -hmm. and um, like a little bit of a caffeine boost. And it was my very favorite <laughs> pre-workout. <laughs> uh, it's, it's my favorite period. I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm about to work out or I finished working out or if I didn't even work out that day. I think chocolate's pretty amazing. Oh, totally. I was just saying like, it was a strategic food for me. It wasn't just like I, the comfort benefits, the stress reduction you were talking about. Yes. But it also, um, served a purpose. Like, you know what I mean? It's so monthly functional. Um, so I want to blow your mind right now as we're going to get into some of these, these big studies, uh, looking at health benefits of chocolate. And the fact is that the vast majority of these studies do not differentiate between cheap chocolate and dark chocolate. They consider all chocolate, chocolate intake. Which means that when you're looking at some of these big cohort studies that include tens of thousands of people, that most of that chocolate being eaten is actually not high quality chocolate. And we can still see that the good things in chocolate are more beneficial than the harm that can be caused from all of the things that are added to cheap chocolate. That does, in fact, blow my mind, though I did hear that from the last time we talked about chocolate. And I think I specifically asked the question and was shocked to hear you say, nope, they didn't they didn't specify what kind of chocolate. They just had them eat chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> was like, there was that wow. one that one study where they're looking at gut microbiome. I, I didn't yeah. I didn't actually pull that um, for this podcast because I was taking a higher, higher level view of, of the studies. But they were it was like. Cadbury chocolate like it was run-of-the-mill milk chocolate probably 35% cocoa solids and they saw benefits to the gut microbiome composition so uh it's it's kind of amazing when you think about it that way and I think the the really great knowledge that comes out of that and as we get into the studies you'll just see the numbers and be like wow and if all those people were even eating better chocolate than that think about how much more impressive it would be. I think we can kind of look at all chocolate as in moderation being a beneficial food and the benefits magnifying the higher quality we choose. And I think that is very liberating information to have. I'm excited. Uh, do you want to get into it? I do. I do. I really do. 
Um, so I'm going to start with a 2017 meta-analysis. Uh, and a reminder to our listeners that I nerd out the most over meta-analyses because these are big studies that take data from many, many other high-quality studies and pool all that data together to really be able to um, see what the power of the, the statistics are and hone in on a magnitude of effect. It's really hard to kind of say how much something reduces the risk of something else from one study. But when you take all of the data from a bunch of studies, and they're usually like looking at all of the studies done over the last 10 or 20 years, pooling all of that data together with some criteria of how certain studies are going to be included or excluded. And then you take all of that data and you say, wow, look at this. Now we start to be able to really put more firm numbers to effects. So that's why meta-analyses are so cool. So this study looked at chocolate intake and how that affected risk of heart disease, stroke, and diabetes, type 2 diabetes specifically. They found that among the people who ate the most servings per week, and that was, um, they were looking at what are called quintiles, right? So they kind of divide most versus least. The people who ate the most chocolate had a 10% reduced risk of developing heart disease compared to the people who ate the least, which was zero, and a 16% reduced risk of stroke. Um, the same study also looked at diabetes. The people who had... Uh, who ate the most chocolate had an 18% lower risk of diabetes for uh, highest compared to lowest. So chocolate, chocolate, which we associate as a sweet food, reduced diabetes risk. Um, now, the how much when they actually like looked to see, okay, we've just divided people in quintiles. Now let's figure out what is the optimum amount of chocolate to consume. So when they went and did that part of the analysis, they showed that for heart disease and stroke, anywhere between three and 10 servings a week was pretty consistent. So there was a dose response um, from like one to three servings. So each serving you had above zero basically was beneficial. And then between three and 10, it was all about the same. And then above 10, you were definitely not getting any additional benefits, maybe starting to lose some of the benefits. When it came to diabetes, they actually showed that the optimum amount was about two servings a week, and the benefits capped out at six servings a week. So at two servings a week, there was a 25% lower risk of developing type 2 diabetes, compared to zero and eating more than six servings a week, there was like no additional benefit. So, um, and a serving is defined as one ounce of chocolate. So this study looking at all of these things together showed eating chocolate reduces risk of heart disease, stroke, and type two diabetes. And that something like an ounce a day, maybe not every day is a really great range for maximizing the benefits uh, across all of those different chronic chronic conditions. How much is an ounce? It's like a square? It's 28 grams. So um, typically when you buy those big bars, they're typically four ounce bars. So that, then it's about two squares of one of those four ounce bars. 
That seems, that's, it's interesting. You and I have talked before about um, enjoying a, like a particular type of chocolate, each of us and feeling satiated after a square or two and just feeling like that, that's what I needed. Um, And it's fascinating to me that the, I wonder how much the body can recognize that, you know, that's kind of always uh, what fascinates me is like that into like when you're trying to be intuitive and listening to your body about what, what it needs um, that it can tell you that with the exception of course of like modern hyper palatable foods and, and all that kind of stuff. But I am, uh, I am fascinated. Let's keep going. So this next study uh, was a randomized control trial done in 2015 of adults with type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure. And this one I wanted to include because it kind of adds to the understanding of the diabetes risk and makes a stronger case for dark chocolate. So what they did was it was actually, they had these people eat almost an ounce, it was 25 grams of dark chocolate or white chocolate as the control every day for eight weeks and then measured how that impacted their blood pressure and measurements relating to type 2 diabetes. And what they saw was the white chocolate group had no changes. So good news, it didn't make anything worse, right? That That's one of the things that you might be worried about if you're saying that all of the, or the vast majority of the beneficial phytonutrients are in the cocoa solids and not the cocoa butter. That's why darker and darker chocolate is beneficial. It's not just that there's less um, sugar. But what this study showed was dark chocolate, that great polyphenol-rich, nutrient-rich deliciousness. Um, When they ate it every, every day for eight weeks, they had lower fasting blood sugar, lower hemoglobin A1C, which is a, a measure of uh, average blood sugars over the last two to three months, um, lower C-reactive protein, uh, lower ApoB, which is a lipid marker related to cardiovascular disease risk, and, um, and lower um, blood pressure, although it wasn't statistically significant. So they had all improved metrics of health with just the only intervention being here, have this square of dark chocolate every day, which I love. I love this study so much, which is why I included it. It's so great. This episode is sponsored by LinkedIn, the social media space that does not give me anxiety. Oh my. (laughs) In all seriousness, LinkedIn is huge for small business owners and people looking to grow their business connections, whether in the corporate world or not. LinkedIn is a way to network with authenticity, learn more about people, learn from them, hire them, find job opportunities without having to endure the small talk of in-person events. I mean, unless that's your thing. Not for this introvert, uh, but I do still want to network, which LinkedIn is great for. I will say I recently hired for my team and searching for the right candidates can feel like you're taking time away from actually working and growing your business. LinkedIn Jobs made it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Yep, you can create free job posts in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. I can see how that would be so great to be able to get recommendations of people you share connections with. 
totally. And with simple tools to quickly filter and prioritize, if you'd like to interview and hire, it's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash whole view. That's linkedin.com slash whole view to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I think one of those mind-blowing things that uh, I'm interested in you expanding on because you've mentioned it before and it's still, you know, I want to wrap my brain fully around it and I think has a lot of power is this idea that chocolate could positively affect someone with diabetes or Mm -hmm. like the, the choice of chocolate over something else and how that could be helpful. I'm especially for um, like type one children, right? Like, so you're talking about type two diabetes. I'm wondering if there's like more expanded information on that. And also you mentioned high blood pressure. Um, Like that to me is fascinating. And I'm wondering like what the mechanism is or if there's more information on that. Like my brain, as you can tell, you, you remember that cartoon that's like, all these rainbow colors coming out of someone's brain. That's what's happening to me right now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. So you just gave me seven directions to go in. Just one. <laughs> let's, I, I love it. Um, let's explore the blood pressure effects because this is one of the areas where it's potentially a combination of the phytonutrient content of chocolate, but also the fat content. And uh, I did promise that we would talk about cocoa butter. So there was a 2017 Cochrane systematic review. So this is from uh, the Cochrane data set, which is a huge data set that allows for a lot of um, really detailed analysis on diet and health outcomes. So we get a lot of really great epidemiological data out of the the Cochrane reviews. And it uh, showed that flavanol-rich chocolate and cocoa products. So they were specifically looking at intake of basically higher quality chocolate, um, reduced blood pressure in healthy adults. So just a regular healthy person had a a two millimeters of mercury reduction in blood pressure, um, uh, average blood pressure. Um, And the, the difference was even more important for people with hypertension. So people with high blood pressure had a bigger reduction in blood pressure, four millimeters of mercury, in this case, systolic blood pressure, compared to um, people who were not consuming those types of healthier, right, more more phytonutrient-rich chocolate products. But when the study started going through, like, what what is the mechanism the mechanisms actually are attributed both to the flavanols, but also about um, so about two thirds of the fat in cocoa butter is saturated fat. About half of that is palmitic acid, and half of that is stearic acid. And stearic acid specifically has been shown to help reduce diastolic blood pressure. So it's one of these uh, sort of medium length not too long um, uh, saturated fatty acids that's actually 
predominantly found in plants and has been associated with a lot of health benefits. The other um, one third of the fat uh, is actually monounsaturated fat, mostly oleic acid, which is the, the same heart healthy monounsaturated fat found in olive oil or avocado oil. Um, so cocoa butter has actually been studied in terms of its impact on, for example, LDL cholesterol, the, the type of cholesterol that increases risk for cardiovascular disease. And um, it's been interestingly shown that it has, it, even if it has an impact on LDL, so um, potentially increasing LDL, it doesn't increase it as much as other types of saturated fats like butter or beef tallow, um, but it is still like not as good as, for example, olive oil, which is 70 to 90% oleic acid. Um, but again, it has shown this impact on blood pressure. And so when we take it all together, we go, you know, the, the fat profile is probably fairly neutral from a cardiovascular disease risk, but the polyphenols are really beneficial from a cardiovascular disease risk, which is why, you know, these studies show benefits. So there is another 2017 meta-analysis, my favorite kind of study, that showed that people who ate moderate amounts of chocolate had a 14% lower risk of developing heart failure compared to people who had no chocolate. And, um, 10 servings a week was associated with, um, like it was like a U-shaped curve, right? So about a serving a day was about optimal. And then above 10 servings a week, you started to have potentially, right? Now we're talking like, oh, well, now we've got potentially a lot of sugar, maybe a lot of um, impact on LDL cholesterol. Over 10 servings a week, you start to see the risk increase again. So seven-ish servings a week, five-ish servings a week. These studies kind of also kind of show this like really protective range of like two to seven servings a week. But again, this is not a study that's isolating good chocolate versus bad chocolate. Um, so we can't necessarily extrapolate and say, you know, if you're eating always dark chocolate, if there is necessarily as strong of a U, there probably still is. There's probably still a, an area where intake is optimal, but that bottom of the U might be a lot wider, right? It might go from two servings to 15. And I'm, I'm just pulling that number out of the hat. I don't know if it's 15 compared to two servings to seven, right? So you would expect as you're choosing better and better chocolate and it has higher and higher polyphenols, lower fat content, especially lower um, saturated fat that has, you know, some beneficial like stearic acid, some less beneficial like palmitic acid. Um, palmitic acid is known to increase cholesterol. So, um, so when you have lower fat content, higher polyphenol content, also cocoa is a actually really high nutrient density food, whereas like cocoa butter is not. Um, so when you're talking about these darker chocolates that have higher cocoa solids to, to cocoa butter ratio, less sugar, you, you might end up stretching that you out so that the range of consumption that's beneficial is much wider. And that is like the missing 
missing piece of information that would be really, really cool. But for now, we have a lot of really good information to show that moderate consumption of chocolate is not something to feel bad about because it's actually benefiting our health. So you mentioned um, nutrients. I'm wondering, how do you quantify this with the Nutrivore mindset? Like if you're coming up with a score, I'm assuming you've got to break down the individual ingredients, right? We can't say like chocolate because we don't know what exactly the ingredients are and at what percentage and that sort of thing, correct? So the the way that I calculate Nutribor scores is with the data from the USDA Food Central database, um, which is typically averages. And um, it doesn't, there's not data in the Food Central database to account tip, usually for different quality of foods. So you can't look at, you know, what would be the Nutribor score of uh, an organic, right, kale versus um, bagged kale, right, like that's been sitting on that shelf for a month. That that kind of detail in the data does not exist. So when I'm calculating a Nutribor score, they're calculated based on the best data that I have, which is the Food Central database. It is the most robust nutrient database in the world. And then it is um, the data that's added to the Nutrivore score calculation that comes outside of that database comes from, for example, the Phenol Explorer database. That's still an average of all the different measurements of polyphenols that have come from different studies. And then things like biotin, CoQ10, um, a lot of the, the functional um, nutrients that are added to the score have to come out of studies where they, you know, I have stacks and stacks and stacks of, of studies beside me where they, they've, say, measured the amount of CoQ10 in 70 foods and another study that measured the amount of biotin in 300 foods. So the score basically tries to fill in the gaps that are not in the Food Central database from scientific studies. But we always have to view that score as an average. So what's in the Food Central database is pretty complete data on cocoa powder, on dark chocolate, which is the range of 70 to 85 percent, semi-sweet chocolate, which is the range of 60 to 69 percent, and milk chocolate, which is the range of 45 to 59 percent. So when we look at just the numbers that are there, knowing that they're averages, knowing that there's going to be a little a little bit of wiggle if uh, there's different, right, the fats added or more nutrient-dense fats versus less nutrient-dense fats, right? Like that's going to change the score a little bit. So we just need to know Nutribor scores are always averages and there just isn't complete enough data to be able to say, okay, that that chocolate bar right there has a higher Nutribor score than this other brand. That data does not exist. And until I can talk every single company into doing third-party nutrient testing so that I can calculate their individual Nutribor scores, which, believe me, I would love to do, until we get to that point, uh, all we can really talk about is, is the averages. But I think talking about the averages is really interesting when it comes to chocolate because we do have, again, these different levels of chocolate uh, cocoa percentages 
that we can we can look at. So let's start with cocoa powder because that I think is the most exciting uh, most exciting ingredient ever. So um, not Dutch processed um, or processed with alkali, which we'll talk about in a minute. Just regular unsweetened cocoa powder has a Nutrivor score of one thousand forty nine. To put that in perspective, uh, sweet potatoes have a Nutrivor score of five hundred and six. Uh, artichoke has a Nutrivor score of 898, and crab has a Nutrivor score of 973. So cocoa powder, unsweetened cocoa powder, is more nutrient-dense than like a lot of different kinds of seafood and a lot of, uh, like most root vegetables, um, most vegetables that aren't cruciferous vegetables, mushrooms, or leafy greens. It's a really nutrient-dense food. It's actually one of the top 100 Nutriver scores that I've calculated to date. And I'm going to pause for celebration. Today's podcast is brought to you by Quip, maker of our favorite electric toothbrush. I can't even tell you how much I've been loving mine. It's so stylish, but even better, it's affordable electric brushes starting at just $25. You won't be paying through the teeth for better oral health. Again, we're going to do it with the puns. Mm -hmm. I have tried other electric toothbrushes before and did not like how bulky or strong they were. The Quip one uses sensitive sonic vibrations to avoid it being abrasive. And what it feels like is the Goldilocks of toothbrushes. Not too small, not too big, not too much vibration, but it still signals how long you've been brushing just right. I genuinely love my toothbrush. It's sleek and small, like a manual brush, but has all the benefits and features of the top of the electric brushes, all at an affordable price. And I love how accessible it is because studies show that brushing twice a day for two minutes is optimal for preventing tooth decay, and Quip makes that easy. And they are committed to being eco-friendly and safe. Right on their website, they say that their refillable floss string is completely free of BPA, PTFE and PFAS, which we talked about why we need to avoid in episode 464. It's safe, but it's also fun. The new smart motor lets you track and improve your brushing with the free Quip app. And I have been loving making a game out of oral health to earn amazing rewards like free refills, products, Target gift cards, and more. This does not surprise me. I know my oral health habits have also improved because of Quip. If you want to check out our new favorite toothbrush, go to getquip.com slash whole view. Right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill of the replaceable head and battery for free and up to 40% off bundles at getquip.com slash whole view. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash whole view. Quip, the good habits company. This podcast is sponsored by StoryWorth, an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. Yes, StoryWorth is such a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those who matter most. This is the exact gift that I love to give. It's something that creates memories that people can revisit, and I'm always looking for ideas for grandparents. They would love this, and it's something you can give last minute. Woohoo! The premise of this is so cool. 
every week, StoryWorth emails your relative, friend, or you a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions you've never thought to ask, like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or, if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? After one year, StoryWorth will compile all of your loved one's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. Reading the weekly stories helps connect you with loved ones no matter how near or far apart you are, and it's a great way to record family lore and be with loved ones, even if not physically. David and I aren't near a family. This is a great way to connect us. With StoryWorth, I am giving those I love most a thoughtful, personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Go to storyworth.com slash whole view and save $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash whole view to save $10 on your first purchase. I am still over here celebrating about the uh, incredible nutritional scientific calculation. That's what I'm going to call the Nutrivor score, right? It is, it is a very scientific calculation. This so is not subjective. We're not saying it's nope. good or not. It's a scientific evaluation um, being amazing. I'm wondering how that plays into the foods that then you would consume that have cocoa powder in it. And yeah. because I can't give you just one question. Sure. I need to know what the Nutrifor score is of cocoa butter, which you specifically said is not nearly mm -hmm. as high. It is not. Okay. So um, the Nutrifor score is a measure of nutrients per calorie in a food, right? Because it, what matters is the nu nutrients to energy ratio. And so it's not necessarily a reflection of the nutrients per serving or the nutrients per, you know, 100 grams. Like that is a different way to, to look at food. I think that also has some merit. And it's one of the reasons why, as I'm building out Nutribor.com, every single uh, food has both of those data points. So it has the Nutribor score, which tells you about the total amount of nutrients per calorie. But then it also has nutrient tables, which tells you about the nutrients per serving because both are really important information, I think, and you kind of need both to be able to really understand, right? You're kind of understanding how much of a food you need or how to combine foods in order to meet your nutritional needs. But one of the things that that means is that the more calories you add to a food, so let's say you're starting with a base, cocoa powder in this case, that's very nutrient dense, but you start adding sugars. Sugars have a lot of calories and fairly little nutrition, depending on which one you're adding. Fats, depending on the fat, that can also be true. A lot of calories, not necessarily a ton of nutrients, again, depending on the fat that you're adding. That basically dilutes the nutrients per calorie, so it lowers the Nutribor score. And chocolate is like the quintessential example of this, because as much as cocoa powder, unsweetened cocoa powder, has a really high Nutribor score, 1,049. Dark chocolate, 70 to 85% cocoa, has a Nutribor score of 190. That's still 
phenomenal. It's higher than a lot of fruits. A banana's nutrivor score is 189. So dark chocolate still has more nutrients per calorie than a banana. Uh, so it's it's still very impressive. But then you can also see, right, the more we dilute it, semi-sweet chocolate, uh, that's 60 to 69% cocoa, has a nutrivor score of 148. Milk chocolate has a nutrivor score of 127. And part of that is the sugar that's added. Part of that is cocoa butter has a neutral score of 26. Um, it pretty much, it has some vitamin K and not a whole lot else. Some of the fats are good. So there's some fats that are calculated into the, the neutral score. So it gets a little bit of, you know, some of the score comes from that. Most of it's coming from the vitamin K content and it just, it doesn't, it doesn't have much else other than that. So, and it, because it's pure fat, it's right. Nine calories per gram. It's, it's pretty calorically dense. So it's, um, it's not that it's bad that it's in chocolate. We just need to understand food in this more complex way of, you know, when we add ingredients that have a lot of calories, but don't necessarily offer a ton of essential nutrients that our nutrients per calorie decreases, that, that food can still fit into a healthy diet, right? Like a Nutriver score again of 190 for a square of dark chocolate is, you know, still telling me that my nutrients per calorie when I consume that is comparable to a lot of fruit that's out there. That's still a really fantastic score for a component of my overall diet. I'm still going to want to choose some Brussels sprouts and some kale and some seafood and stuff like that in my diet to have the nutritional completeness and have the base of my diet be the most nutrient dense foods I can choose. But, um, but, uh, cocoa powder, I mean, time to start adding that to everything is my, is my takeaway. Yeah. I think it's a good point of another aspect that I want to talk about with this, right? Because we, we mentioned this on the original, Nutrifor show, which if you're listening to this show and you have no idea what we're talking about, definitely go back and listen to that. We'll put the episode in the uh, episode number and link in the show notes for you. But um, I think the other aspect to think about is that not all nutrients could be absorbed without like the synergy of something else. And mm -hmm. I imagine that cocoa is one of those foods because the original form comes with cocoa butter, right? Like the original bean form, we're separating the solids and the fats. Um, and then we're, we're putting it back together to kind of be a synergistic food. Are the nutrients that you mentioned earlier, so just to kind of like remind everyone, Copper, manganese, fiber, iron, magnesium, vitamin E, zinc, selenium, phosphorus, vitamins B, 1, 2, 3, 5, 6, 7, and K <laughs> are those, or are some of them, fat-soluble? Yeah, vitamin Z and vitamin K for sure are fat-soluble, so they're going to be absorbed much more efficiently in the presence of fat. B vitamins are water-soluble, so they're 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 not going to care whether or not there's fat there basically. Um, and the minerals, minerals have really complex absorption. So it's, it's harder to make, um, make sort of broad statements like that when it comes to minerals, because some are 
passively transported across a concentration gradient, some are actively transported, some are regulated through excretion, some are only regulated through absorption. So it gets very, very complex very quickly. Some have uh, synergy with absorption, some have competition with absorption. It's, uh, again, I think it's it's harder to sort of make broad, um, broad statements when it comes to, to mineral absorption, whether or not uh, the fat content is, is going to be helpful. But I think, um, you know, I think it's, it's also helpful to recognize that there are essential fatty acids. We do need dietary fat. Um, and just because isolated fats, right, tend to not have a ton of nutrients per calorie doesn't mean that they don't have a place in our diet right so you know i could um I, I can't say that just because fat doesn't have a high nutrient score that it's bad right that's that's what i'm trying to say is like the nutrient score is one tool to look at foods it's not the only tool and it's one of the reasons why i'm working on developing so many other pieces for Nutribor.com that are going to help to complement the Nutribor score and hopefully help make eating a Nutribor diet still very approachable and simple, but give us a tool to identify superfoods beyond the Nutribor score because nutrient density is only one way to evaluate a um, superfood. The One of the other ways to evaluate a superfood is if it's a really unique source of a hard-to-get nutrient. And another way to evaluate a superfood is if studies show that when you eat that food, you have beneficial health outcomes, which is exactly the case with chocolate. Even when that chocolate's not super high quality, you're still getting a reduced risk of heart disease, stroke, and type 2 diabetes. So in my mind, even though the Nutribor score for say semi-sweet chocolate is only 148, that doesn't take away from the fact that it's a superfood because I can I can point to the 10% reduced risk of heart disease, which is kind of a big deal, right? That's that's a comparable reduction from like exercising for 300 minutes a week. So it's, um, I think chocolate earns its superfood status not necessarily through a really high Nutribor score, but through all of these valuable studies that show us that eating chocolate in moderation improves health outcomes. Absolutely. So one of the things that I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about my chocolate, even though now I appreciate these studies telling me that, you know, what it's not specific to the chocolates, but I think, you know, we can look at, um, I think it was the diabetic study looking at like a higher percentage. We know that um, also when it comes to like other things that we've discussed in terms of um, those health outcomes you mentioned being things like gut microbiome and um, other kind of areas that if we seek higher quality, we can expect um to perhaps feel better or have better health outcomes long-term. So if someone is looking at making a choice to, like you and I, I think it was after our last show, which was a, like a long recording because we recorded like a double show at once. 
we were both before we went to the Patreon opening our dust drawer and um, <laughs> grabbing a piece of chocolate because yep. we were like skipping our lunch, right? So if someone is looking for that that chocolate to keep in their dust drawer, um, what are some of the ingredients that we might want to consider or, uh, you know, avoid or uh, to watch we'll out for. for. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. Um, Thank you. I think the most important thing to avoid, if possible, obviously there's going to be exceptions and there's going to be times where you choose to eat something, even though it's not the best possible quality. And that that's, this is not a judgment on that. So like, let's just put that in a little box and set it to the side. But one of the things to look out for is Dutch processing, uh, which can can be on a label in multiple ways. So it can also be on a label as Dutched, alkalized, cocoa processed with alkali. And uh, what this process does, I mean, the idea behind it is basically to remove some of the natural bitterness of cocoa. It also makes the cocoa a darker color, which... Uh, our eyes find more appealing. We associate that darker color with a richer flavor, even though it actually is potentially not. <laughs> um, but um, that processing actually strips out a lot of the most important uh, compounds in chocolate, right? The beneficial polyphenols. And there've been a bunch of studies that have looked at like how alkalized cocoa powders are and what that does to the total, for example, polyphenol content and shows that the difference, right? So a non-dutched cocoa powder, for example, might have 34.6 milligrams per gram of flavanols, uh, one of the important subfamilies of, of polyphenols. And then a fully alkalized cocoa powder will have basically a tenth of that. Um, studies have also shown like treatment alkalization, a 60% loss of flavonoids, 67% loss of epicatechin, 38% loss of catechin. Um, other studies have shown that natural cocoa powder has 4.5 times higher levels of procyanidins compared to Dutch powder. Um, all of All of these are different types of polyphenols that are really important in chocolate and responsible for a lot of the benefits. Um, so consuming chocolate that has not been processed with alkali means you're getting up to, depending on exactly which type of polyphenol you're looking at, maybe 10 times more of those polyphenols compared to Dutched cocoa. So I would say that's the number one thing to look for. I definitely, um, if I'm if I'm looking at chocolate or cocoa powder brands on a shelf if i see processed with alkali just put it back and pick up the next one and look at that label instead and then i think when we're talking about chocolate there's a whole other like group of ingredients to to look for that may or may not be a problem um for example a lot of product has dairy fats added to it for flavor, for texture, and that's not necessarily a problem if you're not sensitive, but it is helpful to know that the dairy used in chocolate is often not high quality dairy. It's typically 
low quality conventional A1 dairy, which would be the kind that isn't as great for us compared to say grass-fed A2 dairy. So um, that is something to, to, I think most people probably know that a lot of chocolate has dairy in it. So that's one thing to look for. Um, a lot of chocolate has lecithin as an emulsifier and lecithin in terms of emulsifiers, lecithin is definitely the like least worrisome emulsifier. It's definitely the one to like, not like obsess about compared to something like carrageenan or xanthan gum, um, or any, anything that has the word, actually not anything that says has the word gum in it. I take that back. Acacia gum is actually pretty cool. But um, lecithin is definitely, you know, doesn't cause leaky gut like some of the other ones, right? It's, it's definitely not a big deal, but it is important to know that it can be metabolized into trimethylamine oxide by our gut bacteria, TMAO, which is linked to increased risk of cardiovascular disease and some forms of cancer. We actually talked about that in depth on episode 365. So go listen to the whole conversation about TMAO and 365. Again, a little bit here and there, it's probably not a big deal. So um, just know that it can be in there, that it's often soy derived, but it can be sunflower derived. Uh, there can be gross things like artificial sweeteners, there can be colorings and unnatural flavors. There can be food dyes. There can be really gross, not awesome vegetable fats. Um, those are the types of things that you're going to see in um, typically lower quality products or like with artificial sweeteners, you'll see those specifically marketed at specific diets, right? So you'll see artificial sweeteners for marketed for diabetics, or you'll see um, some of the, I'm going to say natural, but I'm, I don't really want like monk fruit and stevia and those types of sweeteners that are marketed to health conscious communities, which we talked about in episode 467. And I don't want to rehash here. Um, but you'll see those sort of marketed at keto, low carb, you know, the, the paleo type communities. So, uh, my recommendation is just look for a simple set of ingredients, look for a like natural, like real natural sweetener, like maple sugar, organic cane sugar, coconut sugar. Um, there are some chocolates out there sweetened with honey. Um, and I mean, the chocolate that I buy is cocoa or cacao, cocoa butter, and like a sugar like that. And that that's it. And there's so many options that don't even have less of now, um, that are, there's, they're delicious. They're delicious. There's so many high quality options out there. And given that the things that are benefiting our health are the things that we lose when the chocolate's not as high quality, I think there's a really good argument for looking for that higher quality chocolate. In my drawer, I have a variety of chocolates. <laughs> the one thing that we didn't mention that um, I think we'd, we'd be remiss to have a show on chocolate and not discuss is I try to always have mine be fair trade. Chocolate, oh, yeah. chocolate is um, one of the conflict foods like avocados and bananas and coffee that when not purchased fair trade, can cause harm to people and planet. So there are so many 
fair trade options these days that I almost never have an instance where I can't find something that I'm satisfied with ingredient wise, because Sarah, as you said, like some of these things I'm not super picky about. If there's regular sugar instead of coconut sugar, like the Who Kitchen one that's in my drawer is coconut sugar. But if it's regular sugar, like I would much rather choose the regular sugar fair trade one over like the nuance of, um, well, this one doesn't have a lecithin, but it isn't fair trade. Like to me, that's a priority in my life beyond just like the different um, other aspects that we're talking about today. Because when I think about the health impacts that a non-fair trade chocolate has on many people, I don't want to be a part of that. So it's a choice that that I make. And um, if you're not familiar with conflict foods, like there's so much information out there and maybe we can do a show kind of diving into that and how we get around it. Cause I think like there are, there are cheaper places that you and I both know, like, Oh, this is where I get my fair trade bananas or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of an, an easy and affordable thing to do, but um, creating that habit can feel overwhelming if people have never kind of dove into that before. But I just think it would be, um, it wouldn't be right to not mention making sure that fair trade is a is a priority as well. Uh, I'm glad you did. I think that I mean I, I was like picking up my chocolate that's right beside me. Uh, I have desk chocolate. There's and I am proud to have desk chocolate. I love my desk chocolate. It it's my friend. Um, and I realize now I should think of a name for my desk chocolate, which has the fair trade certified, you know, label on the front. And I think that that little um, that little certification makes it really easy, right? We don't need to be diving into, you know, every single information about the company to try to decipher for ourselves. If it's fair trade, there are certifications that companies can get that will help us identify that aspect. So, um, so I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's also for me, I think the quality of chocolate I'm looking for kind of automatically puts it into that fair trade category. I don't think, I don't think I, well, I probably should pull out all the chocolate in all the hiding spots. Kitchen is not fair trade um, certified. So I don't know, like, cause I'm looking at mine as well. And that's why I was saying, like, I would, I would prefer some of these others that I have in my drawer over this one, although it is non GMO certified, it's gluten-free certified. Um, But I think that's the thing, right, is that there's so many different certifications and labels and different things that we're looking for. And when you're looking at ingredients and you're trying to avoid a lecithin or a gum or you're trying to avoid, you know, um, uh, sometimes I'll say like milk fat or milk solids, right? You're trying to avoid dairy. Like you get to a point where you're like, I can only do so much. (laughs) I'm just one human. I'm going to do the best that I can. I can only do so much. Um, And and that's definitely a choice that we all make. And we never want to give any guilt or, you know, anything like that. But, you know, after I said the specific brand, I pulled it out and I was like, wait a minute. Why? Why doesn't this say? I'm I'm holding a a Who Kitchen chocolate uh, bag right now. And the the organic cacao and organic cacao butter are certified fair trade ingredients. 
um, the coconut sugar is not. Ah, uh, you're right. I see it in the ingredients, but it's like not on the There's, label itself. So I, the one, the bag I has has a label on the front. Um, look, so. see, look how complicated it is just between the two of us talking about one single brand and like yeah. how we're trying to decipher it. So you, as your own person, don't feel badly or you know overwhelmed or whatever because Sarah and I as experts and I'm using quotation marks when I say that because we're doing a podcast on this topic reading labels while on the podcast this is great content folks great content well this is this is the real life stuff that people have to do right and um I think that uh I hope that it's helpful to see that we have the same thing that you have going to a store with like I always have kids with me and they're like mom mom as I sit there and like read but you know pick up six different bars and read a label and finally holding the bag with the puppy dog eyes and the pouty mouth like can we get this and you're like you hit that moment where you're like just fine just put is it gluten-free okay fine just put in the cart like (laughs) that's you know like and that's all you have that's I have one thing that I'm going to care about right now and that is the gluten-freeness nature of this product because gluten does bad things to my whole family and okay fine (laughs) like and that's also fair what I would do if I say picked up something in that situation and got home and realized that it was uh you know not the quality that I actually would have chosen if I was in in a position to read through all the labels in the store as I would go okay but next time we'll pick a different thing right like it's it's um we do the best we can with the information we have at the time and sometimes the information we have at the time is a pouty kid with puppy dog eyes and uh, have to be home in 10 minutes sometimes sometimes that's the information all right so I think we can shift I, I took us a little off track but one of the things that I mentioned at the top of the show is that chocolate as high as its nutrient score scientific what did I say I was going to call it the scientific measurement um is is not something included on AIP and uh, autoimmune protocol. And that might be difficult for some people to understand. Like, Sarah, how can you say that some food is in the top 100 of nutrient value, but is not included in a restorative elimination diet that is working to improve health? Yeah, so the calculus for the autoimmune protocol is more robust because when I'm determining whether or not a food will be included on the elimination phase or saved for reintroduction phase, I'm specifically looking at how that food interacts with the immune system. And for some foods, there's not necessarily enough data to be really confident about including that food in the elimination phase. And that's where we're at with chocolate right now. There's several studies showing that cacao polyphenols suppress TH2 and increase TH1 helper T-cell activity, which generally things that are manipulating TH2 and TH1 balance become really context-dependent about whether or not they're helpful for you or harmful for you as an individual, and those foods always go into phase one reintroductions. They don't get included in the elimination phase. What is yet unknown is, um, you know, there are certain foods that have kind of made their way out of this gray category and have either fallen firmly into elimination phase or firmly into 
reintroductions because of the addition of studies that look at uh, you know, both cancer and autoimmune disease is usually what I, I try to look at because the way the immune system is dysfunctioning is almost, you can kind of think of it as an opposite, right? So in cancer, you have an overactivity of regulatory cells that are suppressing the immune system. So you have underactivity of effector cells. And in autoimmune disease, you have overactivity of effector cells and underactivity of regulatory cells to keep them reined in. And so even though those are big categories of cells, which are the regulatory cells and which are the effector cells and which ones are attacking what. That's kind of the general, right, seesaw balance is sort of opposite between cancer and, and autoimmune disease. And so something that potentially, you know, could ha have cancer prevention benefits, for example, uh, through immune activity, sometimes that means it's going to be not great for autoimmune disease, but sometimes we're looking at something that's actually immune regulatory so it actually helps balance an unbalanced immune system in which case it's okay in both situations chocolate might be be that but we don't have enough science to say for sure so it's something that i'm like every few months <laughs> i go into pubmed and look for for new studies because i think i would be the most popular person in the entire world if i said good news everyone chocolate is aip now as long as it's you know dairy free soy free high quality dark all those things um, but at the moment, there just isn't enough science to be able to, to make that call. So with the AIP, because we're talking about people whose bodies are more sensitive to suboptimal choice, caution is always the better part of valor. And that is why chocolate is not included in the elimination phase of the AIP. However, a really important concept that we always talk about in uh, my AIP lecture series is currency foods. So uh, this is a really common situation. I could do all of the AIP. I could do the organ meat. I could do all the vegetables. I could do everything, the sleep. I could do it all. If I could just keep eating, insert blank, that's almost always chocolate. Although coffee often is in there. And every once in a while, it's something like red wine or, you know, there's some other almonds, right? Sometimes it's nuts, right? There's sometimes a, a different food that's in there. Chocolate is probably 50% of the time. And all the other foods is the other 50%. And my approach to that is, cool, make that trade. So if keeping the dark chocolate in your diet makes everything else about the autoimmune protocol seem doable, awesome. That's your currency. That is right the, the thing you're paying for the ease of the autoimmune protocol. Do the rest of it, and maybe things will be amazing, and you'll just skip over the elimination and, and reintroduction of chocolate because you'll find that everything's awesome and you don't ever have to eliminate chocolate. Or maybe, you know, a month down the road, two months down the road, you're like, ah, you know, I'm just not feeling as good as I was hoping I would. Then you can reevaluate whether or not you want to try eliminating chocolate and seeing if, if that maybe is a food trigger for you. Um, but then you've had that month or two of dialing in everything else and getting through that learning curve and kind of wrapping your head around the rest of the autoimmune protocol. Then when you come to revisit chocolate, then it won't seem as intimidating to give it up. So it's, it's okay to make the trade of one thing to make the rest of the AIP seem like 
something that's not so intimidating. Just remember that we're going to have to we're going to have to have a reevaluation moment at some point in the not too distant future where we go was was this a good trade? Are we awesome to just keep going great? Yes. Or maybe it's time to think about actually eliminating this thing. Okay, fine. Um, but I think that that mindset approach, I think, is a very helpful um, aspect of approaching the AIP that is very relevant to dark chocolate. I've talked before about how I reintroduced from my own autoimmune protocol not following <laughs> any sort of guidance. <laughs> but let me just be clear. It's not like it was as available as it is today. So definitely follow some follow some information. You were developing it at the time and I was probably a good guinea pig for you. Um, yes, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and in return, you answer my questions now. There we go. Um, but chocolate was one of those that I did bring back sooner than later simply because I missed it so much, and I knew that it has health benefits. And so here we are diving into the science of the plethora of health benefits. Um, and I'm wondering now, as we kind of, you know, have gone through all of the science of that, and, you know, if you are on autoimmune, it might be, you know, worth considering as you're, you know, feeling good and coming into um, reintroductions, which we've talked about previously on this show, that is the goal, right, is to be able to reintroduce, um, to consider like how you feel. And um, when you bring it back, it's a good opportunity to, you know, look at the, the types that you're eating and maybe find a brand that you feel good about either based on the ingredients um, and if it's fair trade and, and all that kind of stuff. I think that was something that I was able to do with autoimmune is, is, you know, after it had been off my taste buds for a long time and I was bringing it back, I was definitely coming back with, you know, a different set of brands that I would be my go-to then before I eliminated all those things. And I then ended up not consuming it the same way, which I think is also one of those things that we talked about earlier in the show that you and I have dusk chocolate, <laughs> but we each have, and it's funny because we'll joke about it, right? We each have um, things that we lean on like that, but I eat a square or two and I am genuinely satiated. I am not compelled to like, like this, <laughs> I, I opened my, my chocolate drawer and there were four bars in there and each of them had two squares missing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I actually pick, I choose my chocolate so that I am satiated with a square or two, or like, as I already mentioned, I have like the who kitchen gems, which are like chunks beside me and I might grab two or three like and that's that for me is part of my criteria for what chocolate I'm choosing I find that if I'm choosing sweeter not as dark chocolate I don't find it as satiating and I start to kind of get in that like sugar spiral and that's something I'm very cautious of for myself because that sugar spiral does not do good things to how my joints feel uh or my stress response or my you know, sleep you know what my my like can't stop won't stop chocolate food of of preference is as dark chocolate covered raisins <sighs> it's a problem I mean it's not a problem it's delicious and if I'm gonna enjoy something I tell myself I'm like well this is a fruit covered in dark chocolate it's fine but <laughs> that one I have <laughs> I I have to kind of go into that knowing like okay let me put this in a small dish and not like sit down with a bag or something because yeah. it's not something I can 
I don't have the ability to stop the way that I want to stop. Like, I'm not demonizing that food. I'm saying, like, I don't feel good about the way that my body and mind are not able to say, you've had enough, because there seems to be never enough. <laughs> like... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I would say, um, I don't know that I've tried dark chocolate raisins recently, but for me, it, it definitely is just a sugar ratio. So somewhere in the 70 to 80% cocoa solids range is where I go from, this is lovely, I'm enjoying one square, and it's a great pick-me-up, and I feel you know, nurtured and nourished. And then uh, on the other side of that scale is must eat all, think not, just chew, swallow, actually skip chewing, suck it up, swallow. Um, and so being mindful of that transition for me is, is always the important part because um, I, I hit a binge eating disorder past meets snowball of badness pretty quickly when it's too sweet. So uh, we're talking about these studies referencing, what'd you say, an ounce a day? Um, yeah. And I think you said like five a week. So if you have 10 ounces in one day, like thumbs up, you hit your mark for the week. <laughs> You're good for a week. Yeah. I mean, there were the, the sweet spot is anywhere between a couple times a week and about an ounce a day. I definitely don't feel bad about an ounce a day. Um, and... Uh, and there's not really good evidence on that U-shaped curve of, of where we start to not have benefits anymore with dark chocolate. Um, so if I some if I, I I sometimes have a day where I eat more dark chocolate than my my ounce, and I don't worry about it at all um, because I know I'm picking really good quality chocolate and it's high in lots of really great nutrients. I'm not going to worry about it, um, and I'm hoping that is the main takeaway of this entire podcast for you listeners is to feel um, to feel like you can take chocolate out of that guilt cycle and put it into a place where it can fit into a healthy diet and it can actually promote health. And we don't need to have this like negative self-talk around, Oh my gosh, I ate some chocolate. Like let's let go of that is, is, the whole goal of this whole episode. I would argue that we need to get there with everything, regardless of if it has, you know, incredible health benefits. Like there's zero, zero percent gained in food guilt and food shame and all of that kind of stuff. I think there's lessons to be learned about the way things make us feel and like that kind of stuff. But uh, I appreciate knowing that if I'm making an informed decision about something, um, that it is a choice on one of those like feel good foods versus one of those like foods that doesn't hurt me or foods that mm -hmm. build up, right? Like this, this, uh, grade of foods that I keep in my head of like, these are the foods that like, you know, we talked about with oatmeal, right? Like you can have it occasionally and it doesn't bother you. Whereas if I have it occasionally, it makes me feel good where if I have lentils, I do not feel good at all, but they oh, make you feel, feel good. I feel so, better when I eat lentils. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of the reason that we're both kind of pursuing those is that we know the health benefits they can have. And I think knowing that chocolate has all these health benefits can help you 
reframe it in some sort of way, but there's never a reason to like have guilt about, oh, I ate whatever, right? Because it's done. It's in the past. And, you know, you're, you're stressing about that is only going to hurt you more. But Allison, I gotta, I gotta run out to the store to go get some more chocolate because I only have four bars that are, you know, two squares <laughs> missing here. <laughs> uh, what we are going to do is pop over on Patreon and talk more, and I think maybe we could share specific brands that we love and where we can find them and that sort of thing. So if you're interested in that, join us over at Patreon.com/slash/TheWholeView, and there's multiple ways that you can support us in the show, which we produce ourselves um, and it's a way to kind of give us a high five um, or you know buy us a cup of tea for the month or however you want to think about it um, and by utilizing the partners and sponsors of the podcast you're also doing that so thank you so much for listening and being part of our chocolate journey go forth celebrate the holidays and you know get yourself a fondue pot and you know do all the things with all the chocolate Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. We love providing the Whole View podcast for you as a free resource. You can support the show by using the links and codes we share in our podcast. And we love to read your reviews and chats wherever you listen. And don't forget to share our podcast with your friends and family. Speaking of chat, did you know that you can get exclusive behind-the-scenes content on Patreon? When you support us with your Patreon membership, you get access to live Q&As, and weekly bonus audio, but they're not for kids' ears because our bonus content is explicit. You can also stay in touch with us via our social media channels. I'm at Real Everything Blog. And I'm at The Paleo Mom. And we've got more great resources on our websites and in our newsletters. I can find my folder, I can look it up, and then I will know what it is. It's under your head, that's why I can't find it. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.